Hello, and thank you for joining us here on Broncos Country Throwback. I am Phil Milani alongside Eric Dalala. Eric, it's been a while since we've had an episode, but hopefully the wait was worth it considering today's guest. Yeah, that's right, Phil. I think it will be. Today we've got retired Pro Football Hall of Fame Executive Director Joe Horrigan. Spent more than 40 years at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's kind of the unofficial historian of the Hall of Fame. And today we're hoping to hear some great stories from him and Jim Sakamano about the Broncos Hall of Famers, Phil. Of course, eight true Broncos in the Hall of Fame, and so we think a couple more could be headed there pretty soon. We're looking at Peyton Manning here in 2021. Yeah, I think, Eric, it's almost all but certain that Peyton Manning will be getting that knock or however they plan on doing it this year. That's right, Phil. And, uh, you know, good stories about Peyton Manning, John Elway, and uh, Floyd Little, all, all sorts of great Broncos in the Hall of Fame. So we're looking forward to hearing from Joe Horrigan. And with that, let's get to Jim Sakamano's conversation with Joe Horrigan. We are delighted in this edition of Broncos Country Podcast to be talking with the retired executive director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Joe Horrigan. Joe, uh, how long were you with the Hall of Fame? Well, I was there full-time for 42 years, and now a year and a half into some part-time work that I'm doing for them. So, Yeah, I, I, I understand that entirely, but boy, that's <laughs> a long time, and in that period of time, people have seen so many changes in the hall. How many times has the hall been expanded in the 42 years? Ooh, or 44 you know, years, yeah, really. Yeah, well, you know, uh, major expansions, there were, let me think about it for a second. I believe we had five major expansions, but that doesn't include what I would call major renovations throughout those you know, five existing expansions. We constantly change. So um, even right up to the last year I was there, we were doing major renovations and changes, which you have to do it. You know, you don't want to be static. Uh, it's important that we change with the game, stay current with the game, and never forget the past. Yeah. Anybody who has not been to Canton to see the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it is certainly worth going for the induction of a player. And we're all familiar with the COVID situation, but I think we also think that by next summer, we're going to be in a pretty good situation that way. But no matter what, no matter when, no matter where or how, the Hall of Fame is definitely worth a a visit, and and I think it's worth like a a two day thing. Joe, what about you? <laughs> yeah, you know it, it has gotten to the point, Jim, just in its sheer size that you know two days is a almost a short visit uh, in this sense. But if you know if you are planning a major trip, you know in 2021, and as you said, you know hopefully this COVID thing, and I am I'm hopefully optimistic that it will be uh, at least in control. Uh, this summer is going to be one for the books because there's so much catching up to do. You know, we had our yeah. we had our centennial class elected. We had the class of 2020 elected. We'll have the second of our uh, 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 Black House Football Hall of Fame classics in September. Uh, so you know, it's really, really a lot of catching up to do, but at the same time, more of the same that we do annually. So it is one of those things that you know you want to put on your calendar. And hopefully everybody's calendar is much better looking at that by August of next year, or now this year, I guess, uh, yeah. than uh, uh, it looked a you know, few, few weeks ago. I don't know what the team will do, but I'm certainly uh, hopeful of being there myself one way or another. 
Now, Steve Atwater goes in as a Bronco, or not as a Bronco, but I mean for the Broncos, and, and of course as a Bronco. Mm. The vote hasn't been taken yet, but I feel awfully good about Peyton Manning's chances of joining Steve this summer. You know, that seems to be uh, a, a fairly, fairly safe bet, Jim, I would think. <laughs> um, now, uh, you know, have you de- have you guys decided if it's going to be one big event or two days or what? Or maybe you can't tell me yet. Well, I but, don't uh, know, honestly, Jim. You know, as, as uh, limited as my, uh, my daily interaction is, uh, I'm telling you it is a fluid situation, but there are uh, certainly plans being formulated, and I can't give you an honest answer of where they lie at the moment. But uh, I can, you know, I can say this, that it's very difficult to do things as we've done them in the past, obviously, simply because of the time constraints and having possibly, you know, up to 28 uh, Hall of Famers being honored uh, during that weekend. So obviously they have to think about uh, uh, working outside of their usual parameters uh, to get this thing done. But you know us, Jim. We don't do anything in a small way. It'll, it'll be oh, no. time to what it is. Yeah, and each person deserves his moment of the sun to speak. So I, though I don't know certainly anything, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if it were a, a two-day event over a period of time because it's it's so much, and, and you don't want to take away from from any one guy. Gee, I thought yes. um, I thought the Centennial class did a great job, of course, except for one um, omission. Oh, and I know that who being, he is. <laughs> <laughs> that being Randy Gratishar, and uh, uh, I used to talk with Randy about this, and I just feel so sad now that I, you know, and I used to see him before every game, and this year is a little different. But, you know, I, I still have high hopes that Randy will go in because he was on that original group, didn't make it. I understand that, really, because they're all, they're all Hall of Famers. But I noticed, like, Drew Pearson went in on the – class this year and i still have hopes that randy will go in yeah and i feel pretty confident about that myself jim and you know me you we've had this conversation before i'm a big supporter of randy and i you know and i always come back to this uh you know my 42 years there you know i've had people campaign for you know for candidates and former sure. you know, teammates and coaches and, and so on and obviously, Randy was no different in the sense of the, the support that he got but the one guy that called me one time uh, and I'll mention him by name in a minute, but I'll say this, you know, in all the years that I was there and all the um, candidates that he was familiar with, you know, I never received uh, a call, direct call to tell me that this is a guy that he is taking the time to endorse when he doesn't really believe in doing such things and told me he was the greatest player he ever coached at any level. And that was Joel Collier talking about Randy Gratishar. So, you know, that. That says a lot to me, and I know Joel. I was I was ball boy when he was a coach in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you know him, and you know how he doesn't uh, waste time with you know just um, telling you something that he doesn't believe, and and his conviction in the conversation was you know obvious. Yeah, that that's a good thing. You know, the Broncos we have gone from being a team that was probably underrepresented, and it's still mm-hmm. always fun to say we're underrepresented. But the fact of it is, our representation has increased a great deal now. Yeah, and, and not only those that are elected, but you know there there continues to be a, uh, a I don't want to call it a plethora, but a, a number of Broncos that are you know making it to the 25 semifinalists and, and hopefully the you know final 15 is you know as we saw Steve was there for a lot of years and finally you know got over the hump. 
and, mm-hmm. and I know they don't like hearing it from me every year, but you know, and Steve could tell you I did this with him, as I would assure him. I said, you know, you got to understand that making that 15 finalist list, you know, really says that you are beyond doubt a worthy candidate. And from that point forward, it really becomes a question of when, not if. Right. And with exceptions, that's true. If you make the 15 enough times, and we all understand that sometimes they say, well, this guy's new, but he's got to go in. This guy's new, but he's got to go in. And that's sort of like they cut in line a little bit. It's yep. all a yep. fair vote. But but eventually, I think the voters look at each other and say, wait a minute. <laughs> if yep. not this year, when? This has been yeah, six, and, seven, and, eight years that we've said this guy's one of the final 15. When are we going to say he's one of the final five or six? Yeah, and that's the tough, tough part. That's where the rubber hits the road. And, and you know, you figure when you've got 48 people talking, and you know uh, one of my staff previously, one of my staff now is one of my replacements, uh, Steve, there's Salim Chowdhury. You know, his, his brother works for Microsoft, and they did a statistical analysis of the different combinations of of possible classes coming out of the uh, 18 finalists, the 15 modern era, and the, you know, the two seniors and one contributor or vice versa. And it was astronomical, the number of different combinations of, of a class you could come out with. So people always say to me, oh, you know who's going to get elected. I say, I have no clue. I really don't. Right. Of the 15 finalists there, and I, Jim, I think there was like 30,000 different combinations of, of, you know, from, you know, uh, a class of four to a class of eight that you could literally have. So to say that someone knows what the pecking order is or who's going to go next year or so on just isn't there. You know, for one thing, yeah. you know, having 14 selectors, you know, they change their minds over the years and they prioritize differently. Some are looking and saying, well, this team, you know, hasn't had a guy or this position has been overlooked or, or this guy fell through the cracks. There's a, there's a million different ways of looking at it, but it's never universal. You know, it's, you, yeah. you know, this better than anybody. Getting 48 members of the media to agree on anything is uh, that, that's difficult. Yeah. You know, even being a voting member, which I am, and I'm honored and proud to be of our own ring of fame, I've I've sat in that room, and I can I won't mention any names, but I can think of somebody being rejected, virtually unanimously, and then four or five or ten years later, going in again unanimously, uh, just that all of a sudden everybody starts talking, and and you can watch it happen, and that every so I'm for that, I'm for that. And as fast yeah. as that, he's in. Yeah, and you know, and there's there's guys that you know over the course of time, you know, I, I used to tell people that you know when the seniors committee was looking at candidates, you know, there was an era of the 50s and 60s that almost got leapfrogged by the selectors because the Hall of Fame didn't open until 63, and they were looking at guys that started you know back in the 1920s. So by the time they were catching up, they're already into the 1970s, late 70s, and into the 80s, and somehow that that little pocket of, of, of really good players in the 50s and 60s in particular seemed to get leapfrogged over as more of the high-profile players from the 60s, later 60s yeah. and early 70s. And, and you know, uh, a guy that you and I have talked about recently, Lionel Taylor. You know, my goodness. You know, that yeah, was a phenomenal I was, player. And I was on just, Clark Judge's committee for the call to the hall. You know, Lionel yeah. came out number two in yeah. that vote. Um of all the AFL guys not in the Hall of Fame, I really thought he'd be overlooked, and he was not. I think it was Buddy was number one, and um, Lionel was number two. 
Yeah, Lionel, you know, and I think what Lionel suffered during his career was that he had no offense, but he played in a, with a, a bad Denver franchise in the early years. Right, right. There was a guy named Lance Allworth when the voters started looking at the AFL and they, you know, they said, oh, here's the, you know, the receiver we want. And they went and then they kind of went on, like, you know, maybe we've covered right. that. As, you know, and you know, if you look, I mean, Lionel was the first player to have over 100 receptions in a season. And, and, and Amazing. Uh, a fast guy like Lance Allworth, but he had, you know, if you um, look at players, today, we, we marvel and say, look at him catching that ball with one hand and they're wearing yeah, gloves. Yeah. Lionel didn't wear gloves, but he was making a lot of one-handed catches in the, in the And if you can imagine, I mean, if one can imagine, somebody is cut by the Chicago Bears as a linebacker, right? They sign on with another team, the Denver Broncos, and become the first guy in history to catch 500 passes. Of course, <laughs> when your nickname is Bambi, like Lance Allworth was, and you right. look like Lance Allworth, talk about out of central casting. I mean, he'd get rejected because they'd say he's too pretty. He's yeah, too handsome. He, he can't even play the football player. The Chargers. Yeah, and, and the Chargers. Oh, and he's the... playing in the sunshine. Yeah, he's uh, a remarkable guy. But the uh, hall is think... full of great players. We, you and I have talked about a couple. One, well, neither a Bronco, Mike Allstott, the last mm-hmm. true fullback maybe in the game. And, oh, my gosh, the statistics of Herschel Walker. You suggested I go look at him. I was aghast at, at his record. Yeah, it's again one of these, you know, uh, and uh, sometimes I explain that a little bit in that, you know, if you look at the evolution of the game, you know, when we were first looking at Hall of Famers or looking at players in general, they were, you know, they played both ways. And then pretty soon the two platoon football came in after World War II, specifically, or more frequently. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the battle was, when the, when they're looking at players, they say, oh, he, he didn't play both ways. You know, well, no, that era's gone. We're into this era. And then in this era, this next generation, or if you will, with free substitution, all of a sudden this thing called special teams starts emerging. And I think, um, it, and not I'm not going to single out a single player here, but it, it, the name that comes up all the time now is Steve Tasker being a guy that, you know, brought attention to the special yeah. teams play. Let's say. And, uh, and all of a sudden people are, saying that that was the exception, you know, a, a Steve Tasker or somebody else. And it, and it truly isn't. There is now three distinct divisions of football, offense, defense, and special teams. And, you know, Ray Guy is a, and Morton Anderson are, are, are products of the special teams. So you have to look at the totality of the game and how it's changed and how a Herschel Walker in the era that he was playing was doing so well in so many diverse roles. He, he got kind of underestimated for what he was accomplishing at, at, at when he was playing. So I, I think that's what happens to some of today's players. It mm-hmm. will happen to Well, you can't put everybody in, and guys get no. swept. They, now, you know, there's, you mentioned Ray Guy just now. He mm-hmm. is actually not, in my opinion, the best punter I've ever seen. And I think you can probably Gerald guess Wilson. <laughs> Gerald Wilson of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. I, I just thought he was unbelievable. Yeah, and I and I agree, Jim, and I think that's, again, to our point of when voters vote, you know, they're not eliminating anybody, but Ray Guy hopefully, you know, opened the door to other players like Gerald Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that was always the comparison when the selectors were talking about punters. Uh, you know, it was Gerald Wilson and, and really Ray Guy that were, you know, the most discussion, obviously. 
and there were, uh, you know, there were others, but, you know, those were the two that dominated the conversation. So, again, I think he falls into that category of when, if not if. And, you know, Joe, I know you've served your hitch, as have I, but as we watch things, um, you know, from afar or closely from afar, as the <laughs> as the years go by and it just can't be helped, the voters kind of get younger. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of unfortunate that the guys who played farther back, it's easier for them to get overlooked because yeah. you there's always a tendency to believe that the guy I saw has to be the best guy, if not the only guy. And, you know, it's hard to believe that, first of all, we're about to have a 17-game schedule. Heck, we used yeah. to have a 12-game schedule. That's <laughs> exactly. a big difference. And, yeah. and it's hard to imagine sometimes how good some of these other players were. Yeah. And that, that was really the motivation when, uh, when I started preaching and pitching the idea of, of a centennial class. You know, my hopes were that it would be even larger than it was, but realistically, the logistics of anything more than that really became unmanageable. But the idea was that, you know, that there are, as you point out, so many guys from back when that uh, our selectors never saw play. Uh, and there are some really, really great students of the game on the selection committee that know of them. But we had to form a committee that went even beyond our selectors, where we brought in outside, I will call them outside, outside of the selection committee, uh, mm-hmm. expert, you know, that did see them play or did know more about the game from that era, including Bill Belichick, you know, who was a great I know. Uh, historian of the game, great student of the game. Great historian and of the game. That, that was really the reason. And, and that was met with very positive reception by our selectors acknowledging that, hey, this is, you know, why we use consultants in our, you know, our seniors meetings. Right. We acknowledge the fact that, you know, hey, we only know what we know. Let's not be afraid of acknowledging that and making sure that we, you know, take whatever measures we can to compensate for that. So I think moving forward, I think the success of the centennial uh, class and the way it it, it, uh, happened and the way it was judged and selected I think moving forward, we'll see more movement towards that type of approach to help the selectors in those gap areas where they may not be the expert, per se. Joe, and the growth of the NFL, the excitement, the Hall of Fame, I don't think it's out of the question. Of course, this is just a chicken sitting on a, a, a fence talking, but I don't think it's out of the question to have another centennial class. I, I, I mean – Another class like that, ten or fifteen years down the road, you certainly yeah, have plenty, I, plenty of players to consider. Well, you look at it, and I know you're at least a big Yankees fan here. But what uh, Major League Baseball just did with the Negro Leagues, you know, yeah. you have to be able to look at your past and say, you know, obviously we've learned from it, but let's also acknowledge, you know, that we need to go back and look at this in in the sense of recognition for the accomplishments right. of players and their conditions that we may not know about. Because closing your eyes and saying it didn't exist if it was before 1960, that, that's a poor way to do business. By the way, now that the coaches are separate, kind of separate from the players in the voting, mm-hmm. I think there's two guys that really deserve consideration. And, of course, I've got my Bronco hat on here. <laughs> I think absolutely Mike Shanahan. And I think Dan Reeves, when you compare Dan Reeves' stats to Mike Ditka's stats, Reeves Mm -hmm. had like, he scored like four fewer touchdowns than Ditka. That's not very many. 
and has 50-some more wins than Ditka. Now, he did not win the Super Bowl. He took a team there three times, though, and I think he was in something like eight or nine of the first 22 Super Bowls played. Yeah, and there's there's another thing that you bring up in the way you use Ditka as the comparison. And Mike's in the Hall of Fame as a tight end, although you know we know he had a successful coaching career. Um, there is something to be said for, and, and I like the fact that you know people are looking and thinking about this of a career accomplishment. You know, there are there are uh, players, coaches, and contributors who have now is the game is a hundred years old and has evolved into such a you know huge industry, a football industry, that have dedicated a 50-plus-year career right. to football. Maybe they're not a, a, a Hall of Fame player and maybe not a Hall of Fame coach, maybe not a Hall of Fame contributor, but have played or have contributed all three of those categories for so many years at such a high level that that That's should right. not be you know that that you know the Bucko Kilroys of the world. You know that that uh, you know spent 50 years in the league. Most people don't even know who he is, but he had, you know he had you know a great career on so many different I levels. I do, Joe. Yeah, I know you do. Um, <laughs> you know, by the way, there's a guy in the hall. A good example of this: a guy who's in the Hall of Fame who could have gone in as a coach, could have gone in as a broadcaster, and could have gone in as whatever it is. John Madden. Sure, sure. Promoting there are the people game. People who know of the Madden game and don't even know of the Jan. But I mean, those are three remarkable things. Uh, right. and, and I mean, what if Don Mattingly wins a World Series? Yeah. All of a sudden, you you say, well, he was a really good player. Well, now it's a bunch of years later, and he wins the World Series, for example. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you in the Charter class of the Hall of Fame. That clearly was was uh, considered when they looked at George Halas while he had a Hall of Fame you know, coaching career and a founder and all that. He was a player. He was a coach. He was a contributor. And not that any one of those categories he would have been elected to the Hall of Fame probably, but it was his total body of work that they were recognizing him as. You know, and, Speaking, and that couldn't have stopped there. That should have continued there from there. Speaking of which, the you know, the first Bronco to go in uh, to be to be involved in the Hall of Fame, if you're honored by it, was Fred Gerke, our general manager, mm-hmm who I think in 1972, uh, our late GM, who I think in 72 became the first recipient of the Pioneer Award. That's right. That's right. I will yeah, throw out a name. I've done it so many times. And I was just talking to Alex Stern at the Elias Sports Bureau, so you know what's coming, a couple yeah. of days ago. Mm-hmm. How in the world the, the Pioneer Award has not been given to Seymour Siwoff is beyond me. Yeah, and and I agree too, Jim. You know, Seymour, uh, and and I, this may sound sacrilegious to for, some for, people. But, we should explain who he is, Joe. To, yeah, yeah. To, you know, go ahead and explain who he was because fans won't know. Yeah, well, the the Elias Sports Bureau, which became you know a, a part of the NFL's um, existence in the sense of statistical analysis and, and compilation statistics. You know, they're really, as far as I'm concerned, they really weren't stats until Seymour and Elias, but his contribution to mapping the game, you know, puts him in the category of a shorty Ray. And I'll, and I'll say this approaches the Steven Ed Sable level in the sense of the contribution to the game that has become such an important part of the game. And shorty Ray, most people don't know who that he was an official administrator, officials administrator, game officials. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it, you know, it is an element of the game that has become such an important element of the game that you cannot have it without it. 
So, you know, it, it, can you tell the story of the game without, you know, stats? No. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. And, you know, Seymour was a World War II vet who was in combat, and he had worked for Elias as an accountant or something before the war. But people don't realize he bought Elias and began his, uh, on its path before the superhighway system was created in the United States of America. And almost anybody listening, almost any human, has been on a highway. Before they were ever created, Seymour was was doing the stats. Yep, yep. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that's like that's uh, an amazing yeah. thing. And, and he was just one of these guys, that, the diligent, you know, guys that just did it. And I, I'm not sure he loved it. I mean, he was totally absorbed by it. I mean, it was, it was oh, uh, amazing. You yeah. couldn't talk to him without, you know, having to put your, you know, your. You know, you know, he on. used to work six and a half days a week, Joe. Oh, I don't uh, doubt it. Well, I mean, because I asked him once. I, I've had, I've had a lot. I did have a lot of conversations with Seymour. Of course, Monday through Friday, Sunday was huge. But on Saturday, he and his wife would go in Saturday morning. He would dabble. She would do the books. And then in the afternoon, they would go to dinner in New York City. He drove, believe it or not. And he would, they would go to dinner in New York City and go to a movie. And that oh, was what they did. That was their half day that they did something. It's amazing. I mean, you know, now thing you just said, though, Jim, is that that he drove. I, I can't imagine Seymour oh. driving. <laughs> and then after his wife, after his wife died, all he did was move to a, a an apartment in the city, so it is close, so he could still go in the same amount of time. It was unreal. One time, I, I you know, asked. At the Elias Sports, he was in his 90s, and I said, does Seymour ever come around? They said, come around. He's here every day. He's always yeah, here. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. we, we digress. You know, we've had some great Broncos go in, and I'm, I'm very pleased about that. One thing that it irks me that people do not understand, they consider that guys who, who played with another team aren't really your guys. But the oh. Hall of Fame, I like the way they do it. In baseball – they put a cap on a guy, and they say he's going in as a Yankee. What kind yeah. of cap do you want to wear? Well, all well and good, but um, in the Hall of Fame, you, you, you don't list him with one guy. You list all the teams. For example, if I said to you, is Ty Law a Denver Bronco, you would mm-hmm. say, yes, he is. And people don't realize, but they, the Hall lists him as a primary or secondary guy. Gary Zimmerman yeah. is listed as primary for the Broncos and the Vikings because of the equality of the time he spent there. But one time our wonderful equipment guy told me that uh, he thought Brian Dawkins was really a Bronco, but Willie Brown hadn't spent as much time with us. And I said, just a second, Willie Brown was with us for longer than Brian Dawkins. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just a while back, but you know, I count them all. And, and you know, and you appreciate it, is that you know you get elected to the Hall of Fame as a player, and that's it. I mean, you know, you know, it's you don't say, you know, he was a player uh, only at a particular city or franchise. You know, it's just, it's a again his body of work as a player. So you're short shifting him if you you know eliminate. Oh, he only played there a year. Well, so what? He was there as a so part what? of his career. It was portfolio. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. And with free agency now. 
Whereas oh, once boy. upon a time, a guy had to pl- almost had to play his whole time with one team, unless at the end he had nothing left and they cut him and he played a half a year with somebody. But now it's very common for guys to play four years with one team, three with another, four with another. It's very common, and I, I think it's made it very difficult to say he, he only is level. this. You know, the free agency has made it available to them so that they can move to that next team and still play at a high level, maybe even a higher level. You know, they're younger as they shift, and, you know, it is a football career. It is not just a team career. Yeah, I agree with that, Joe. Um, Joe, um, what's what's one of the more unusual moments that you had in your uh, nearly five decades, which it's going to reach five decades, working for and with the Hall of Fame? Well, unusual, and that's that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Maybe the most unusual thing for me recently, you know, uh, having administered the selection process for a number of decades, um, for the first time with the Centennial class, uh, I was on the selection committee, you know, as, as opposed to just that is so cool. Yeah, and, and you know, and it was a uh, even you know as many times as I've sat in the room and, and listened to the debate and you know prepared the materials and all that sort of thing. It was an entirely different experience for me, and I and I better understood uh, the dilemma that selectors face. And you know, you mm-hmm. have to make decisions that you hate it's to tough make. Choices. Yeah. You know, I share a, a quote, Jim, and I may have shared this with you once before, but uh, Len Shapiro, the great Washington uh, uh, Post yes. uh, sports and great friend, uh, when he was on the selection committee, he was so such a diligent and dedicated selector. We're leaving the meeting room. Now, when we would leave the meeting room, we wouldn't know. We would know the, you know, the eight finalists. And in, in this particular game, or era, it was seven at the time when the, the story took place. We, we knew the seven finalists, but we didn't know the final vote count on those seven as to who would have made the, you know, the 80%. So we're leaving the room. And Len Shapiro says to me, he says, Joe, he says, you know, I should feel good right now. I think we just elected seven guys. But I feel terrible because we're leaving eight behind. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great that, quote. That's the dilemma, and that you know, and that's so true. You know, with the, the majority of our selectors, that's how they feel. It's not, boy, I celebrate. I got this guy here, that guy got in, or yeah. whatever. It's boy, you know, I feel bad. I got to call this guy again, and you know, tell him no. You know, I just, I, uh, I'm always in favor of more guys going in, always more, because we have a lot of people in America. And, uh, you know, like we deal with COVID, and, and despite whatever anybody says, which is all, it's all true, but 99 point, the numbers are always 99.99 something, if you will, against COVID. And it, but yet it's a serious thing. Well, right. similarly, there's a lot of ball players and we got a lot of bronze in America. I'd like to see us use it. Let me ask you a question, Joe. Sure. You know, people have watched TV now. It's become made for TV, obviously. The knock mm-hmm. on the door that I, I feel came with David Baker. How long has the knock on the door been, been uh, taking place? Well, it, it actually did you know, start with David. Uh, you know, we were having some discussions once, and the idea came up, and, you know, we were, you know, thinking, gee, is that even logistically possible? First of all, um, you know, at the time prior to that, we didn't have all the guys at the Super Bowl site. You know, they, they right. we didn't invite them. You know, it's just we had to have you know, 18 finalists there, and first of all, a lot of them didn't want to come. So we had to we had to create an environment where they felt comfortable coming to the Super Bowl, knowing that they might not get elected. So that's one thing. And then we had to and work you had to explain that to them, which is not easy. Yeah, 
Well, exactly. You know, particularly if they've been, you know, uh, finalists before, you know, they know the pain of not being elected uh, in a given year. So it, it took some convincing, but our, our partners uh, at the NFL and NFL Network who had to be intimately involved in it, obviously, you know, we had to go to the league and say, hey, you know, what do you think? And then they liked the idea because the honor show has become a big right. um, one of their tentpole events now at the Super Bowl, and they said, well, yeah, we could build, you know, the, the honor show around the announcement of the class, you know, if they're all there, we can't do it if nobody's going to be there. So it all kind of fell together, Jim, that, you know, it was beneficial for the honor show, beneficial for NFL Network to be able to do this, or, you know, they do the all the reduction votes live, you know, reporting on our reduction votes during the year, so it became a, you know, kind of a culminating event for them. We gave them access to the class the next day as we did our, as we, as we um, meet on the Monday after the Super Bowl to start measuring for you know, their gold jacket and their ring. And their, yeah, right. Their, so, so it was, it was a, a kind of a, everything kind of collided and said, this is really good. This has become a year round show for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and for football. And what better so, moment than to capture the guy learning that oh, he's been wonderful. elected. Yeah. It and of course, you can't do it without a combination of the league TV. So how many years? Has David been there 10 years now? No, he hasn't been there. T- I'm trying to think. Uh, I think we're in year seven, I think this is. Uh-huh. So because yeah, one, of our, one of our one of our wonderful young men at the Broncos said, you know, this year, I wonder how they'll handle the uh, knock on the door. You know, given we think it'll be really good in uh, in the summer, we hope, but we're not so sure about February, the second day of February, you know. So, um, but I said, that's relatively new. And the person said, oh, really? I didn't know that. But yeah, it's yeah. only been about seven years. Yeah. Uh, and, it becomes, and it's been great it TV, of course. Of the, uh, and Jim, you know, you know, as a, as a communication expert for all these years and for your listeners, you, they should appreciate the fact that they, if they aren't already familiar with your long career, you are considered one of the premier NFL communications people in, of all time. And I don't say that because you're on the phone with me. You know, I can list four or five people that fall into that category. You're in that group, Jim. But well, thank you, Joe. You, well, and uh, my point is, you'll understand this: Foot, the football lexicon. You know how quickly things become a part of the normal conversation. Mm-hmm. The knock. Yeah. If you say that now, people know <laughs> yeah. what it means. They know what it means. <laughs> and that's that's an achievement of not only the Hall of Fame, but of where this selection process is in the minds of football fans, that it's already a part of their daily lexicon to understand the knock. Yeah, that uh, it's great. And whatever they do, I know it'll be great. Like you said, the Hall of Fame doesn't do anything halfway. And you've been not only a part of it, you've, you have led the charge for more years than you, you would say, because you're humble. And even now, there are things you know and I don't care how many young people they hire, that anybody hires, there are things you know about how it was done or who somebody was that others simply can't touch. It's a knowledge base. It's nobody's fault. But, you know, you'll always be a part of the hall. And um, I hope, by the way, that we can do another podcast down the road and maybe we'll try not to catch the same topic. Maybe I'll come up with specific ones. But would you be willing to do that, Joe? Absolutely, Jim. I enjoy, uh, you know, there are getting to be fewer and fewer people that I can so easily um, relate stories to because you've lived them with me. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. You know, maybe we'll uh, delay a little bit and do one uh, about the time of the election process since we think, well, actually, 
something will happen. Manning will go in or not go in. Probably a better story if he doesn't, but that sounds like it's got a bucket of ugly on it, so I hope that doesn't happen. But um, anyway, uh, I'll call you again, and we'll hope to have uh, have you on again. And I'm honored to have you on right now, Joe Horrigan. Well, I thank you so much, Jim, and I, I look forward to the opportunity to reminisce with you again. Thank you so much. Joe Horrigan, retired executive director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And when you have the job Joe has, you were never really retired. But uh, thanks, Joe. My pleasure, Jim. That was Jim Sakamano's conversation with Joe Horrigan from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So just a wealth of knowledge after more than four decades working in Canton, Ohio. Um, just plenty of stories when you've been there that long. And this guy knows the history of the NFL maybe better than anybody. Yeah, he's really Pro Football Hall of Fame royalty, Erica. I've had the chance to talk with Mr. Horrigan in the past and uh, really just so much knowledge there, knows pretty much everything about the history of the game. And when you put him with a historian like Jim Sakamano, you get a really cool conversation like we just heard there. Really enjoyed some of those stories. So uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe and rate it, Broncos Country Throwback. You can find that wherever you find any of your favorite podcasts. That's uh, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher. And make sure you check out uh, all of the Broncos network of podcasts. That's the Neutral Zone, which uh, Eric and I do. But you could also find The Snap and also Entre Amigos. And with that, uh, we say Happy New Year and hope everybody uh, stays safe at the start of 2021. For Jim Sakamano and Eric Galala, I'm Phil Milani. This has been Broncos Country Throwback.